podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi, everyone. I'm Trey Strolko from the Sons of UCF, joined by Eric Lopez of the Black and Gold Banneret. Welcome to Around the Kingdom. Elo, we were a part of history on Saturday in the Bounce House. Just not the right kind. And now, history here on Around the Kingdom. How are you? Doing good. This is the fastest UCF show, 30 minutes. We'll go over all the topics, but not as fast as apparently blowing a 28-point lead. Mm, we're going to get into that. Before we get going, let's welcome in the third member of our team. He is Adam Eaton from the Sons of UCF, keeping time, keeping us on our toes. Adam, hello. Gentlemen, how are you? I have not recovered yet. My voice has not recovered yet. This is still a 72-hour at least issue I've had, and uh, I can't wait to hear you guys talk about this. All right, we'll check back with you in a few minutes. 72 hours, Elo. It's a 24-hour rule. By the way, we slugged this. I slugged this on the rundown. Is what went wrong? Baylor 36, UCF 35. In your original note to me, you had WTF? <laughs> yeah, I think that's what everybody's reacting, right? Third, fourth quarter, you're up 35-7, 35-10 in the fourth quarter. Everything's looking great. Next thing you know, you blink. And you're done. You lose. You blow the lead. Uh, 36-35, Trace. Just heartbreaking. What went wrong? Everything went wrong. That's the problem. Offense, defense, special teams, Trace. This was uh, it's still stunning. I'm, I have never been more stunned in going into football games since the late 80s, 90s than this game. Stunning how this turned out. You know, someone asked me, a friend who hadn't seen the game, uh, you know, from another program, supports another program, he said, basically what went wrong. And I said, you know, it wasn't any one thing. And with UCF, it never is just one or two things, because if it was one or two things, they could overcome most likely those things. And there are so many things that happen. Obviously the INT, uh, the Wildcat play with a fumble, they give up two two point conversions, a blocked field goal, a missed field goal, a shank punt. You just can't overcome all of the mistakes that they made and Gus Malzahn and his uh, Monday availability, even after the game saying, this is a good team that keeps shooting itself in the foot, making mistakes. But does that make you a good team? If you keep doing those sorts of things week in and week out. I thought Monday, you asked a very fascinating question to Gus Malzahn, which is, Define what is a mentally tough team, right? What did he tell you, Trace, to your question? He, much like most of the answers he provides, not a lot of substance. He said, it's on me, it's up to me to coach him, but didn't get into a lot of specifics on the question. But he kind of acknowledged we just weren't tough enough mentally in the second half. And I do think we saw similar. When you make mistakes like this team has over against Kansas State and the Baylor game, I think some of that is mentally tough. Uh, the other thing is, this is a boomer bust offense, Trace. Let me give you this quick stat. You realize UCF had one drive in the entire game of four minutes or longer, which was the first drive of the third quarter that nearly went seven minutes. Shout out to Christian Simmons, who actually predicted that drive before that, that even drive started. Conversely, UCF had eight drives of two and a half minutes or less in the game, Trace. That's boomer bust. That's that's a little Josh Heupel football, doesn't it? Well, I mean, opening play, a 70-what-nine-yard touchdown run, a nine-second drive, a 12-second drive. I don't know, though, the, the way the offense performed, especially in the second half, that without those plays, without jumping ahead early, I don't know how they would have done in a slugged-out 
four-quarter game. I think they would have gotten worn down both physically and mentally. Baylor never stopped. Credit to them. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done by this Knights team. What went wrong? A lot of things went wrong for UCF in this one. <laughs> you throw, that's it? You're throwing this one away? It's just unbelievable. Oh, I can't believe that. All right. So the question is now, where does this loss rank, Trace? Is this the worst loss in program history? Uh, you know what UCF fans do. It's uh, recency bias on everything that they do. I have sat through a lot of losses, Elo, a lot of painful You've losses. going to 33 years, right? 33. Yeah, a lot, a lot of losses. Back as a student in games, for me, this was an embarrassing loss. Just the latest in a string of embarrassing losses for this program under head coach Gus Malzahn. Let's go back to the end of last season. So much on the line. Beat ECU, maybe college game day. Beat Navy, maybe host the AAC. Yeah, right? Missed opportunities for these UCF Knights. Everything was set up for this game. Honoring the 2013 Knights, the first home game in big, so many things up big early. But humiliating was being in Tampa in 07 and losing 64 to 12 to uh, the, the cows that that that's the last game by the way that i left i walked out of uh, of the buccaneer stadium i was so disgusted uh, by the team i know they went on to have a good season they strung together wins ends up in the liberty bowl but on that day against that team and that's what i'm judging this by that was a humiliating gut-wrenching loss so for me that was the worst but this Baylor game certainly will rank up there when all the dust settles uh, on UCF's losses. And let's not put it past this year's nights or future nights to rival something like you saw on Saturday at the Bounce House. Those are all valid ones. I'll throw a couple more. The Furman loss oh. in 2015. I remember I literally I was so distraught that I walked around the stadium twice because I realized, <laughs> wow, we might actually go winless after we lost to Furman. I was then, in the press box for that game. You, you know, you no cheering in the press box. I was, I, I snapped my pen in half. I, I could not believe how bad a performance it was in that game. It was pretty bad. Uh, I'll give a shout out. Andrew Glukoff, BlackAndGoBanner.com, writes that Syracuse, 2002 at the Old Stadium, blowing an 18-point lead. That was one of the more inexplicable losses ever. But I'm going to be that knee-jerk reaction guy. This is the worst loss in program history. Trace, you only have one. One ever home opening Big 12 game. It was a celebration. People were coming from all over the place that haven't been to games in a while. This was a celebration. This was a game you're going to be talking about 20, 30 years from now. And now we're going to be talking about how they blew a 28-point lead. 892 straight teams that led by 28, uh, 25 points in the fourth quarter had won. This is absurd. This is the worst loss ever. Uh, all things considered, that this celebration. I mean, there's a lot of people that uh, that you're never going to get over this loss. Like, I'm not getting over this loss. Are you getting over this loss? 24 hours is over. It's done. <laughs> you throw, you're throwing paper at me. That's my theme, yeah. That's how I feel today. Are you blaming the players? Are you blaming the coaches? Or in this uh, social media meltdown, are you blaming students and fans uh, for leaving. Boy, this fan base. One week it's Zombie Nation. It's another is the color of the jerseys or what the nameplates look like. I will say this in uh, student attendance gate that the energy for me started to drift away from that stadium. And that's where if you're going to credit fans and the student section, best fans 
uh, in the country, best student section in the country, then you need them. I understand all of the many reasons why people left. They're up big. It's a hot monkey day. I get a family weekend, spend time with the parents. I get all those reasons. But if you're going to give fans and students in particular credit for being a decisive factor in close games and the noise and the atmosphere and the environment, uh, they left and the energy drained out of that stadium. It takes nothing away. They are not the reason why the team lost. But it would have been nice to have more of that energy. And I know UCF's won games before where there's been less people. I'm just saying that the energy got sucked out of that building as people began to drift out. Every sport has this problem. College football has a problem. Three and a half, four hours, college football games go in 80-degree, 90-degree weather. It ain't going to happen. And I think this is the most absurd conversation. To have this conversation, to blame Fans leaving for blowing a 28-point lead. Maybe that's a that's a if the players are worried about that, that's a player's problem. Maybe that's why they're losing games. Listen, we can have we, we don't have time to go over all the fan situation, how you can make this better and things like that. But uh real question, Trace, who helps pay for the UCF athletic fees? Ah, students and their athletic uh fee oh, their enrollment saying, tuition. Might yeah. be careful be careful who you kind of go after on that. And if you wanted them to come back. I would suggest not insulting them. Again, a couple, be couple of weeks before a home game, we'll see. We'll see what the team does between now and then, and whether they return. Absolutely, hundred percent agree. But please, let me not own up to the loss. Don't blame fans who were supportive oh. there in the game for crying out loud. Gee. All right, enough of your negativity, Elo. Be positive. Yeah. By the way, we've limited to the be positive segment to a total of two minutes. What, what did you like? Uh, in this performance with the Knights, especially up 35-7, 35-10. What did you like? Johnny Richardson. He's fun to watch in the open field. Can we give him the ball more, Trace? Because he's fun on the field. First carry, 79 yards. Five other carries the rest of the game. Even Gus Malzahn, during his media availability, said, got to get our playmakers more touches. Hey, Gus, you're calling. I mean, Darren, you're calling the plays. <laughs> Call Johnny's uh, name and number more. All right, I'm not gonna, you know what? I'm not even gonna focus on on the field because there was a lot of positives in the game. I got to meet Adam Eaton in person for the first time after the game. I got to meet Dolly after the game for the first time. I got to meet the great Brian W. Peterson after the game. I got to meet Andrew Glukoff after the game. Hey, look, I got a championship ring, softball honored at the game. Call, I'm shocked that you wore it, but I'm glad that you did. That is a great accomplishment. Uh, I see you up in the press fun. box, and you're and you're like, here, here, let me show you. I'm like, oh, nice, nice. I mean, you got to showcase the merchandise. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm appreciative of softball. They uh, they were very awesome. They reward me. So I had a great day. That's what I'm so angry about. It was such a great day. There was no rain, despite what weather people were predicting. Gee, what a shock! <laughs> they got that wrong. It was such a glorious day of happiness and celebration until the fourth quarter. Uh, I concur. Everything was set up here. And as you said earlier, you can never undo, right, the outcome of this game. Everything was set up. It was great to see so many nights uh, back uh, in the stadium that 2013 team recognized. George O'Leary even looked like he was having a good time uh, when they recognized uh, the, the team. They had the, the celebration the, the night before for the shareholders and donors Everything, Elo. We're going to be talking about this one. I joke about the 24-hour rule, which coaches and players said that they're adhering to. We're going to find out uh, whether they adhere to that uh, coming up uh, in Kansas. But uh, great atmosphere, just not a great end to the game. Shout out to Nelson, one of the listener fans of the show, who said hello and asked me, is Trace in the press box getting uh, in the 
press conference getting to the bottom of this? And I'm like, of course he is. What else would he be doing? All right, Eli, what's it going to take to bounce back for the Knights? They hit the road again, two weeks removed from the loss at Kansas State. By the way, you like Gus Malzahn saying we've, uh, we're one and two in close games. I like how he's counting uh, briefly ahead in the third quarter uh, and then losing that game at Kansas State as a close loss. Uh, the Knights have not scored in the fourth quarter in those conference games, except for that with a final few seconds on the clock uh, at Kansas State. What's it going to take to spring what seems like an upset now on the road at Kansas? Well, first of all, be Kansas quarterback Jalen Daniels. Just go ahead and not play this week like he didn't play against Texas. He's got a back You think that's a misdirection by Kansas, or do you think there's something to that uh, no, I think there's, no, I, I think there is something. I mean, he did not play in the Texas game, so I don't think you're just purposely skipping. He's saving Texas himself game. up for UCF. I mean, why not? So Lance Lightpole, we don't know what his status is. That would be a huge help because you look at Kansas the last two years, with Daniels and without Daniels, they're a completely different team, so that would be huge for UCF. The other thing is, does John Rice Plumley come back? That's the one carryout. If there's one guy, Trace, that can turn You want him back? It, I you do. want him back? I think they need him. I do think they need him. They need that positivity from him. You've been around him. I've been around him. He does bring that positive energy. I think he's a better runner at quarterback, and he could help them turn the page because it is a difficult game to get over mentally. One way you could do that is by saying, hey, our leader at quarterback is back. I think he can change the momentum of this mood for this team. I think that would be huge. A week ago, you said that the Baylor game was a must win, and I shook that off. And as the week went along, I thought about it and changed my position. But I'm going now to say this is the must win. Go back to that question of Gus Malzahn. Mentally tough team. I'm hearing so much. I hope they're angry. You know what? I hope they are. I hope they're smart. I hope they cut down on mistakes. I don't need them to be angry. I don't need them to play with a chip on their shoulder. I need them to play smarter football. It is the mistakes, right? We can talk about certain positions, linebacker. Maybe they're overmatched. Maybe they're getting worn down. Baylor never stopped. Kansas State was a physical team. I need UCF to play smart. They don't have to eliminate every mistake. Nobody's going to eliminate every mistake. Cut down on the mistakes. You can't have the same number of mistakes and come out of there with a victory. I want to see a smarter team uh, come out of Kansas with a win. And I think they can, but I'll tell you what, they lose this game and why I think it's a must win. You go into that bye week now with three straight conference losses and, oh, Dylan Gabriel awaits at Oklahoma the week after that. Mentally tough is what you're referring to there because there's going to be adversity. When you're playing now in the Big 12, you're going to face adversity in swings during the game. And, Mistakes, part of it is mental there as far as making mental mistakes. So you're right. Uh, we'll see if Plumley plays. We don't know if he will. What's your gut feeling on it? You think he plays? You think he starts? You know, they, uh, I don't think he's I don't think he's physically – I know they cleared him, but we saw what happened when he wasn't physically right against Tulane last year. I hope they don't rush him back. I'd rather he get that other week of rest and then see him at Oklahoma. But are they desperate? The body language on Darren Hinshaw, Addison Williams, even Gus Malzahn – it was not positive body language of coming off a terrible loss. I hope they don't rush him back because he'll say he can play, right? That's just his competitive nature. But is he ready? Is he back? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know who we're going to see a quarterback for either team. All right, let's bring back in Adam Eaton. Time to lighten the mood a little bit. Time for a silly game now. Well, before we do that, guys, I, I need a stiff drink. And luckily, the <laughs> sultry spirit can help me out. If you're looking to add a little extra touch to your next event, the Soldier Spirit can take your party to that level. 
Their bartenders specialize in creative twists on classic cocktails, making every sip an unforgettable experience. They are a mobile bartending service for all your needs, whether it's wedding, corporate event, party, commiseration after a tough loss, whatever you need. Their talented bartenders will shake up the perfect drink and get the good times flowing. Follow at Sultry Spirit on Instagram or call 941-567-7062. You'll talk to Miles. He's UCF alum. He's as down as the rest of us are, but luckily... He's got the sultry spirit, which can cheer you up. Again, uh, 941-567-7062. Use the code Sons of UCF or tell them you heard about them around the kingdom. Here's what you're going to get. You're going to get 10% off and a special gift. Again, at the sultry spirit, if you need uh, to drown your sorrows after a UCF uh, a weekend, and we all do, Trace. Look, we're, we're spending a lot of time, guys, talking about the offense. I, I want to focus on the defense. Here's my first question. It's true or false. Eric, I'll start with you. Addison Williams. First year defensive coordinator. He's in over his head right now, Eric Lopez. True or false? I'm going to say false because a lot of these defensive issues we're, we're seeing, we kind of saw last year with Travis Williams. I'm not sure. Look, I get it. Addison's his first year play call, and I think there's some things they could do better. Give him credit, by the way. He spoke with the media on Sunday, including Trace on that. But I think this is more player personnel-wise than just play call. I'm not, I think it's a combination. Yeah, I'm going to go false. Uh, I think there are some on-the-job you know, training and learning that he's doing. He's acknowledged that. I don't think that that is why they have struggled. It is personnel. And, uh, you know, he's asked, uh, Gus Malzahn was asked about the transfer portal and the guys coming in. Some guys we haven't seen much of. Some haven't performed much. There have been some misses in that transfer portal. And that linebacker, I think it's a personnel issue. I don't think it's an Addison Williams issue. All right. Well, that's my next question for you, Trace. I'll start with you. I'm struggling to figure this out. Who is the biggest playmaker on UCF's defense? In years past, we've had a guy that's been a, a big playmaker, Shaquem Griffin, Nate Evans, Richie Grant. We, we had guys that you knew you can count on. When you think about the defense, Trace, in your mind, who is the biggest playmaker on this UCF defense? I think that speaks to a bit of a lack of identity of this defense. I thought Traymond Morris Brash had a good game against Baylor, but he slips in and out of being relevant in games in a statistical way, right? Consistently, it's Jason Johnson, but he's so quiet and so understated that he doesn't see, certainly not the Shaquem Griffin uh, personality. I don't know that there is that dynamic force. I think this team has been missing Ricky Barber in a big way, and if they had had him for more than – a dozen plays against Baylor, maybe it's a different outcome, even with the mistake. So um, maybe Ricky Barber, maybe Traymond Morris Brash, but maybe there's no one that you associate with it. At least not right now. They don't, maybe they will later in the year. Maybe it's still developing, but part of the problem I would add is their best playmakers are playing elsewhere. Tatum Bethune would have been that guy to Florida state. Me and Trace are in the press box at the post game watching <laughs> Ole Miss LSU. Who made the play, Trace, that you Jeremiah did? Jeremiah Gene Baptiste's name was called. Made a play for Ole Miss. Could have been used here. I don't think we have one right now. I think the problem is maybe the best talent is still too young, and they're not there yet. Maybe they will be by later in the year. All right, last one. We, obviously, this was a tough loss for UCF. Eric, start with you. Thinking about your entire sports fandom – Every sport, every team you root for, what's the toughest loss you've experienced as a fan? Wow, Adam. 
I can't wait for Trace. He was a Cubs fan. That's he's got plenty to pick from. Uh, although I'm a Dolphin fan, I got plenty to pick from, including 1994 divisional playoff. Pete Stojanovic misses a field goal. Dolphins lose 22-21 in the year they were supposed to host the Super Bowl. Adam, you know this one well. Game seven two years ago, Eastern Conference Final against Boston. Jimmy oh, Butler pulls up three. Oh. We lose a three from Max Drew somewhere that got taken away. That's up there. I would say those two. I mean, there's. I mean, Allen Houston, Knicks Heat, ninety nine, brutal first round. Those are some of the other ones that jumps out. Well, Elo, you mentioned it. I support the Cubs. They had a ninety two percent chance of making the playoffs two weeks ago, and the playoffs begin, and they are not in it. So, a lot of painful losses. UCF fan for a very long time. I mentioned that the worst loss for me was at the debacle over in Tampa, but really very painful. Um, with my friend Todd, UCF Auburn, UCF leading 6-3, rumored UCF's going to go to a bowl in Hawaii. I have no money at that point. I say to Todd, we are putting it on credit cards. We're figuring out a way to get there. And then uh, Auburn scores late, defeats UCF. Of course, a bunch of other things happen. UCF doesn't go to a bowl. Two-hour drive back, Todd didn't talk to me on the car in the car on the drive back. That one still comes up. Painful, terrible loss. Has Todd talked to you since? Yeah, we've talked since. Yeah. Okay, good. Hi, Todd. Uh, thanks for that uh, trip down. Thanks, Adam. Road, yeah. Enjoy. Enjoy the Wait, hold, on. Drink. hold on. I'm, I'm going to call Sultry Spirit. We need one now, right yeah, now. Drink of Sultry Spirit, 941-567-7062. Oh, my goodness. All right, Trace. Let's go some positive. We'll try. George O'Leary, you mentioned UCF 2013 team was honored at the end of the first quarter. I would know. I was down on the field there with them. Show us the ring again. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they had their own ring. They had a little bit of an event on a Friday night for some of the uh, fans, right, and private uh, event. And George O'Leary said in some interviews he thinks the 2013 team would beat the 2017 team. Trace, you agree? Agree, Elo. Love the 2017 nights, uh, but the defense was stronger on that 2013 team. Produced a lot of guys heck, still playing pro ball. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Terrence Plummer comes to mind. Uh, defensively, that 2013 team stronger, and I go with them. I will disagree. I'm going with 2017. Here's why. They were more dominant team. You think of 2013. It was such a fun team, but we forget they were they struggled against the mediocre Memphis team, needed a miraculous play from Stanback and special teams to win the game, struggled against a bad USF team, lost to South Carolina, the 17 team was dominant. I don't think the UCF's 13 offensive line could block Shaquem Griffin. I think defensively they would have trouble against McKenzie Melton. And I think the 17 coaching staff would outcoach the 13 staff. I think I would take the over. I think it's a shootout. I think 17 jumps out to a big lead. I think Blake Bortles leads him to a comeback, but falls short. Oh, I love that simulation. You've got everything. Yeah, but you know of those two teams, who has a statue, Elo? George O'Leary. 2013, Scott Frost doesn't have a statue. <laughs> no, but uh, we'll see how many of these players from each respective teams gets into the Hall of Fame. Blake At UCF, Blake Bortles is in the Hall of Fame. I expect Shaquem Griffin, Mackenzie Milton to get in on the 17 team. Will anybody else from the 13 team get in as far as player-wise? We shall see. But come on, national champs, Trace, undefeated. You can't lose either way on this. So a good a good little discussion about that. All right, let's go around the Big 12, Elo. Big clash this weekend, Texas-Oklahoma. We talk about this every week. 
changing your mind on this about who's in that Big 12 title game? Is this a knockout game? I still think Kansas State uh, could be disruptive in this conversation down the line. They could be the disruptor, but I think these are the two best teams right now in the Big 12, and this is the biggest game of Dylan Gabriel's career. And I'm really interested to see how he comes out in the biggest stage. Game day is going to be there. Fowler, Herb Street's calling. This is no, Dylan Gabriel's never played a bigger game in his life against this Texas. And we know how he plays in big games. That's my point. We're going to, I'm really interested to see how he comes out in this game uh, with Oklahoma. The winner of this game, I think is in the driver's seat to play uh, in the big 12 title game. I think the losers can still get in. And I I would not be surprised if it's two games, but let's be real. That's the, these are the two best teams right now uh, until further uh, proven otherwise. What else are we learning about the big 12? Obviously what we knew going in, everybody would beat everybody up, but Hey, the newcomers, Combined one and seven, and that one is thanks to a BYU win over Cincinnati. Newcomers, first couple of weeks, uh, a little rough in their transition. A little, uh, you're just, that's an understatement. It's been rough. Uh, you're right. It's Everybody's going to beat each other up, which is kind of typical of the Big 12. A lot of wacky games. Uh, I think definitely that's one of the things we've learned. This is, it's going to be, I'm really interested to see how UCF comes out here against Kansas because it's not going to get easier. you got Oklahoma. West Virginia quietly, by the way, who was supposed to be the worst team in the league, is actually playing well. They beat TCU. Hey, their head coach is still there. Everybody might, had him written off a long time ago. Right. He might be saving his job, and all of a sudden that homecoming game we thought was going to be easy may not be so easy. And that, I mean, we're going to have a bunch there of – There are no games. easy games left on the UCF schedule. It may not have anything to do with the opponent. It may have a lot more to do with UCF. <laughs> there are no yeah. easy games. When you can lose the game they lost this weekend – David Randa, by the way, he was going to be fired at halftime. And uh, then part of the biggest comeback in Baylor – by the way, you're going to have the biggest loss, uh, you know, blown game for UCF. That's coming when another team gets, gets its biggest win. But he was done, Right. I was in the elevator with a couple of Baylor people, and they were like, whoa, we haven't seen that from this team all year round. That might have saved them. Uh, yeah, it was kind of wild in that sport. Well, we're glad we could, you know, UCF could contribute to Hey, Texas Tech with a big win over Houston. Uh, the uh, Red Raiders are 1-1 one one in Big 12 play, one game ahead of the UCF Knights. Wow. 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 <laughs> Just kicking uh, kicking us down there. I mean, unfortunately, right now, your prediction might look pretty good the way things are going. Maybe Houston, Cincinnati are your best. I mean, who knows? I don't know. It's a mess right now. The big 12, but. but who do you got? You got Oklahoma winning? I'm going to go with Texas. Uh, I don't trust Dylan Gabriel in a big game. I think that's fair. I'm going with Texas until Oklahoma. I think, I think Oklahoma is much better defensively than they've been under Brent Venables. But you're right. It all comes down to Dylan Gabriel. Can he prove himself uh, against Texas? We'll see. I got Texas as well. I think this should be a good one this weekend. Brent, no Brett Yormark at the game there. Greg Sankey will be in. Uh, that was funny, by the way. I walked into the elevator with Brett Yormark. We, oh, uh, we chatted up to the up to the sixth floor. Look at you. All right. Well, speaking of uh, running into people, we got Olympic sports. Big week here for UCF. Women's soccer split in the Oklahoma, in the state of Oklahoma, losing to Oklahoma State in Stillwater, but bouncing back to beat Oklahoma. They will host Texas Thursday in their first ever nationally linear televised game in the regular season on ESPNU against Texas. Volleyball swept the Will the announcers be there for that? Or yes, uh, they will. I just found out they actually will be. What a crazy concept. Broadcasters <laughs> on site. Uh, women, uh, women's volleyball undefeated. They swept Oklahoma two games. They're in Lubbock, Texas Tech. That's a tough one. Drives you know. Tough for teams to win in Lubbock. <laughs> and then men's soccer. Beating Kentucky 1-0. They're now the number two ranked team in the country going into hosting Georgia Southern on Saturday night. Trace, your big takeaway. 
Well, you just said it right there. Men's soccer, uh, they have played well. Some draws in there, a tough loss at Marshall. But respect for UCF and the polls. They didn't lose much ground, and then they get the win over Kentucky, and then they move up. Uh, great job by Scott Calabrese and this team, and they could make noise in postseason. You know, still a slog there uh, the rest of the way in Sunbelt play. Uh, you know, you got to remember that they're in that different league, uh, not in the Big 12. Uh, but an opportunity to get a win at home and continue to stay right there near the top of the polls. They could be number one at some point. You just need a Marshall slip-up. Well, got to be careful against Georgia Southern, who drew West Virginia, who's ranked third in the country. Sunbelt, top three teams in the country. with uh, Marshall, UCF, West Virginia on that. Volleyball, tricky game at Texas Tech. Can't afford to lose this game. You know, because this is the soft part of the schedule for volleyball before it really racks up in late October, starting with a trip to Baylor. But women's soccer, hosting Texas Thursday, hosting Baylor on Sunday. If they want to keep their hopes alive of the Big 12 title in women's soccer, these are must-wins, in my opinion. At least get results, because the schedule gets rougher. They still got to play Texas Tech, who's in the top 10. Maybe this was the sport you were talking about. It wasn't football. It was football you were talking about for Texas Tech. And then they also got to go to BYU late in the year. But listen, I'm excited. I get to call the men's soccer game Saturday night. The highest-ranked UCF team ever. That's in, good. Good luck to you in good. that That's going to be fun. Jump Let's short the, the clock. Let's short the clock. Bring back Adam. What we get right, what we get wrong, Adam? All right. Well, first of all, you guys have way too many facts to make my job easy around here. You guys are just spitting out facts. Elo has papers. I don't know what to do with that, but I do have a few things for you. <laughs> Let's give some stats. Big 12 rankings for UCF. They are 10th in the conference in time of possession, 28 minutes per game. That's not great. Overall defense, they are 8th ranked, pretty much middle of the pack. Offense, though, number one ranked offense in the Big 12 right now. So offense, number one, defense, number eight. You talked about the students, Eric. Uh, this stat courtesy of Brian W. Peterson. Currently, students in the fiscal 23-24 budget pay $14 and 32 cents for athletic fees per credit hour, which is the second highest fee outside of their matriculation fee. Matriculation? Well, you've been waiting to use that one, haven't you? <laughs> you can tell can somebody's either... been hanging out. Somebody's <laughs> been hanging out with Brian W. Peterson. W. Peterson. That's <laughs> also fair. The account to the stars, Brian W. Peterson. All right, Adam. One more thing, Elo, hitting you with this one called true or false. The Jayhawk, the University of Kansas mascot, is the state bird of Kansas. Ooh, uh, I'm going to say true. False. That would be the Western Meadowlark. There is no such thing as a Jayhawk. It was coined around 1850, referred to pioneers crossing what is now Nebraska, a name that combines two birds, the noisy blue jay and the sparrowhawk, a stealthy hunter. There ah. is no such thing as a Jayhawk, though you will Look see that. You. You're roaming the sidelines. You're Mr. Jayhawk here. I feel like you've, uh, you know, Kansas alums from previous uh, content. I don't know. <laughs> I know a thing or two about Kansas. Look for new episodes midweek, every week on the Sons of UCF YouTube channel. Also, wherever you get your audio feed drops into the podcast feed. We thank Adam. We thank you. For Eric Lopez, I'm Trey Strelko. Thanks for being with us for Around the Kingdom. Podcast Network.